Today's scripture reading is taken from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. This can be found on page 1029 of the Pew Bibles. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are here with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him the bread, because he is his friend, Yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who seek him? The word of God. Good morning, all. Welcome to Knox. Special welcome if this is your first time here. We are delighted that uh, you've come to worship with us and our prayer is that you would experience the living presence of God. For the past number of weeks, well, for a lot of this ministry year, we at Knox have been focusing in on prayer. We began in, in September looking at the Psalms because the Psalms, after all, is the prayer book of the church. And so we've been looking at uh, how the Psalms teach us to pray. And then we took a little hiatus over the Christmas months. And then in January with the new year, we picked it up again. And we began to look at what are some of the, the specific New Testament uh, types of praying. And, and today is the conclusion to this, this whole sermon series on prayer. And we've been doing this. We've been focusing in on prayer because prayer is such a fundamental human impulse. It is the, the fundamental way that we connect with God, and it is a fundamental impulse of the human heart. Prayer actually is, is a clue to your humanity, a connection to your humanity. Prayer shows you what you are made for. One of the interesting things about prayer is that it's almost an involuntary reflex of the human heart. Um, everyone, no matter what you believe, what, even if you believe nothing. And I recognize that in a church like Knox, we often get people in a variety of places on the human uh, faith spectrum. And some of you may be here today with questions, with doubts. Maybe you're really dubious about the Christian faith and you got questions. But no matter who you are, you've prayed or, as one friend said, I've wished upwards. It's just a part of the human heart. And maybe you might say, well, okay, people pray when they're really desperate. But aren't those situations 
those moments when we realize we are the most human, when we face our own limitations, when we feel our own vulnerability. That's when we are in touch with our real humanity. That's when we pray, which means prayer doesn't dehumanize you. It actually is your connection to your humanity. All sorts of philosophies and ideas in our culture say the exact opposite. Say, you know what, you need to fully take charge of yourself. Don't rely on anybody else. Create your own reality. Take control of your environment. And that kind of philosophy, I got to tell you, won't turn you more human. It'll turn you into a dictator. It turns you into something more like Hitler or Stalin than a human. When you think you're in charge, when you think you have to be in control of everything, people like that are out of touch with humanity. They feel like they're above the rest of the human mess. It's when you feel really vulnerable, when you're desperate, when you realize you're human. Therefore, prayer not only connects us deeply with God, it connects us deeply with our humanity. So prayer is something incredible for all people that we all do. And, and so we're talking about it because of these realities. We've been talking about it because it's so critical to renewal, to the way God renews this world, our lives. If you look at the, throughout Scripture or if you look at throughout church history, whenever you see uh, God at work through His Holy Spirit doing a beautiful work of renewal, you will see preceding that is a season of prayer when People gather uh, and are focused on intentional prayer, intensive, kingdom-centered prayer. Then we see God doing his work. And so we've been calling us to pray because we want to see our lives um, encouraged, enlivened by the Holy Spirit. We want to see our church renewed. We want to see this church beautified so that it is a a sparkling witness to our city. That it just is so winsome and wonderful in in how we might be able to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ. We want to pray for our city and see it renewed. For God to bless this city, to heal relationships, to clean up politics, to alleviate poverty here in this city. To open up hearts to the gospel. To make the city strong, vital, vibrant, healthy place. Those are big things. And you might think, isn't that a little overreaching for prayer? Um, Aren't you asserting too much for prayer? Really, can we hope for those sorts of things? Shouldn't we, I don't know, hedge our bets a little, temper our expectations for what we can assume prayer might deliver? And the Bible gives us a pretty clear answer. No, no. There is a power in prayer. And when God's people pray, they, when they engage God with his promises, there's this powerful partnership, this redemptive partnership that changes the world. Scripture's filled with stories about this. In the Old Testament, you remember the story of the prophet Isaiah, who he prayed, he pushed back rain from the nation of Israel for years. So there was no rain. He prayed again. He brought back rain. Um, His prayers changed things. Think of the New Testament. There's the Apostle Peter. He's in prison. He's facing trial the very next day. But we read the church prayed fervently for Peter. And Peter is sprung. He's free from his prison cell. Not going to face that trial. 
All throughout scripture, you see these great stories. But even though we hear these stories, maybe you're like me, there's something that can hold us back. I don't know. I think we are all natural skeptics at heart, aren't we? And we're not sure. Can prayer really work like that? And questions come about, about what prayer might actually accomplish. And so we, we experience a lot of prayerlessness in our lives. We're not sure if we can ask like that, and we're not sure if we are able to ask like that, how we do ask. So instead, often what we do is we turn prayer into something else. We turn it into a mindfulness exercise, a practice of quieting ourselves down. And I'm not bashing that at all. That's a good thing because we are a frantic, anxious people. But what is on offer in Scripture regarding prayer is so much more than that. The book of James lays out, I think, the heart of it for us, where James says simply, you have not because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. You hear that, and if you, as you work that through, I bet two struggles are going to come up, and they're theological struggles. One of them is this. We believe God is a sovereign God. God has a plan. He is working that plan out. God is in charge of everything. He is the architect, designer of history and of all things. And if God is doing that plan sovereignly, do our actions mean anything? Do our prayers mean anything? So why bother? So on the one hand, that leads to passivity or paralysis. But on the other hand, we think, what if it's actually all up to us? We have this free agency, this human free will. This is great, but that means if it's all up to my prayers, that's a pretty frightening thing, isn't it? Because what if, what if I got a bad day and I'm praying out of a lot of anger? And what if I pray and God really hears that prayer and acts on that prayer and it is something bad? What if my prayers unleash some weird butterfly effect of causality um, that, that harms? And so... All of a sudden, you're left there with a paralysisness about prayer. But here's the beautiful thing about the, the power of prayer in Scripture. Is when you take those two things, God's sovereignty and human agency, human freedom, and you bring them together. And it's at that place where those things come together, where there is this beautiful potency in our prayers. And we are given then a whole new approach to prayer and a motivation to boldly ask God. At this very end of the series on prayer, we're looking at probably what's the most frequent form of prayer, request, asking. Petition is one form that it's called when you ask God for things for yourself. Or uh, there's intercession when you seek God on behalf of others. The picture of prayer, however, throughout Scripture, throughout the life of Jesus, is right here. This one of asking, of request. And the beautiful reality the Bible shows is that God honors bold prayers. And that bold prayers honor God. Both of those things are operating. God honors the bold prayers that we offer. And and those bold, almost shameless prayers honor some character, some quality about who God is. They take God at his word. And this passage we heard this morning, this teaching of Jesus, is just a rich uh, teaching on this type of prayer. 
And it begins with Jesus, interestingly, praying. Now imagine that. So Jesus, we read in Luke, 1, uh, Luke 11 verse 1, is praying. And I imagine the disciples are watching him pray. Wouldn't you love to be part of that? To see Jesus at prayer? What, what is he saying when he speaks to his Abba Father? And more than the content, what I'd love to know is the tone. Like, like what's his posture of prayer? What's the, what's the, the, the language of, of, of his prayers? So we see Jesus praying. His disciples observe this. And then they, they, they say naturally, well, well, teach us to pray, Jesus. And then Jesus gives them a form of prayer. The Lord's Prayer. Probably called, better called the Disciples' Prayer. Because the disciples are asking for this. Um, and then after this, um, Jesus then proceeds to teach further. And it's, it's the rest of that passage that I want to focus in on. Because what that does is it, it, it helps us understand some of the earlier parts and helps us understand this form of prayer called request. Jesus is teaching us the way we can approach God with our requests. And he teaches it through a number of ways. First, a parable. And then uh, he ends it with a parable in, in between sort of the meat of this parable sandwich is three straight up commands about how we can request God. So let's walk through it. First parable. The parable is of a friend who comes knocking middle of the night to his neighbor. I got guests. I got no food. Help me out. Now two important clues, uh, two important things for us to really get this parable is this. First thing, hospitality. Hospitality was a cultural premium. In that day and age. Still is in the Middle East. Um, but in that Middle Eastern culture of Jesus' day. Um, they placed an absolute premium on hospitality. On welcoming people. On serving the guest. And so anyone hearing this parable. Would, would laugh at the excuses the sleeping guy offers. Oh my, my children are asleep. Well come on children fall right back to sleep don't they? And my door is locked. Well I mean what does it take? Move the bolt over. That's it. Open the door. They would think, come on. To refuse a request like this in that culture is unthinkable. And, and it would bring shame on that house, on the whole village. And that's the second thing that we'll need to know about this parable. Is that this culture, uh, shame and honor were powerful parts of everyday life. And so to act honorably was critical. And, and to not honor this request would be shameful for that man. And not just the man, but the whole village. And so when Jesus says in verse 8, I tell you, though he will not get up and give you bread because he's your friend. So he's, Jesus is saying, listen, the guy's not even a friend. He doesn't even like him. If, he's, he, if he won't give you because of his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he'll get up, give him as much as he needs. That word boldness. Some translations, interestingly enough, have the word persistence. They translate it as persistence. Often we, we might think of this parable as that. as someone who's banging on the door, boom, boom, boom. But it's not about persistence at all because the man gets up right away. So it's not about persistence because of his boldness. It's an odd word. And one scholar I was reading, Kenneth Bailey, who has lived in the Middle East for years and he's been trying to research and understand the Middle Eastern culture, um, he says... The word is probably better translated as shameless. And it's not about the man knocking. It's about the man sleeping. It is because the sleeping man's 
does not want to, he wants to be without shame. It is because of that that he'll actually get up. He wants to avoid shame. He wants to be seen as an honorable man. And so he's going to answer your quest. And so Jesus, we got to, I think, see him as telling this parable with a smile on his face. He's saying, listen, can any of you possibly imagine this crazy scenario or one of you comes knocking in the middle of the night asking for bread and someone offers up some lame excuse about why he can't. And you can imagine the audience just laughing. Of course not. That's crazy. No one would ever do that. And then Jesus is inferring in the same way. God is a God of honor. And anyone who asks him anything will have the complete assurance that he hears you, that he responds to you. Jesus is getting at some of those barriers that prevent us from praying, from asking. He's inviting us to bold praying, to come to God, to freely, boldly come to God. Because it's unimaginable that God wouldn't listen to you. You know he's going to answer you. You can be sure of that. And then, to call out any more bluffs we might have about our prayerlessness... Jesus offers up three boom, boom, boom commands. Blunt. They almost feel like a dare, like he's throwing down a gauntlet. Ask, seek, knock. And he doesn't just say it three times. He says it six times in six different ways. Ask, you'll receive. Seek, you'll find. Knock, the door opens. And then anyone who asks, everyone who asks will receive. Everyone who seeks will find. Everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. This is one of the most encouragements, deepest encouragements to bold pray. Because it promises this, this staggering reality. There's almost this unconditionality to what Jesus is promising here. And if you read this with faith, it is just breathtaking. Ask. No conditions. You'll receive. But instead, here's what we often do. We don't take Jesus up on that dare. Instead, here's what we do. Instead of asking, we wish. We've got a heart full of desires, of wishes, and it's like, oh, I want that. I love that. I... We don't talk to God. We don't ask God for it. Instead of seeking, we often talk about the things in our lives. We talk about our problems and concerns, but we don't seek out the Father to speak with him about it. And instead of knocking, we often just worry. We think about all the reasons why that door can open, and we never bother knocking. Instead, Jesus invites us to ask. And not just ask, but to ask aggressively, boldly, to ask specifically. It's like Jesus is saying, ask for the stars, because you are invited to in relationship with the king. So bring your biggest requests because the Father's grace and power are of such a quality, so freely offered, that you can't ever ask too much. And you get a sense for that when you see people praying in the Bible. You're almost shocked. It seems, seems overly bold. Think of Abraham. He's praying for a city. I wish we would pray for our city like Abraham did. In Genesis 18... He's calling God on his word. Far be it from you, God, to act in such a way, he says. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? 
Or in Exodus 33, Moses. Moses is praying to God and he's saying, God, do it for your name. Do it for your glory. Do it because of your promises, God. They knew how to approach God, didn't they? Boldly. Bold prayers honor God. And God honors our bold prayers. But I bet a lot of us still are holding back and wonder. And you might think, well, what about all those requests I made that didn't get answered? What do you do with that? I've asked God for a lot of things. I know people who ask God for things. Why? They didn't come about. Why, why should I do this? Aren't we just setting people up for misunderstanding, for disappointment? Well, I'm not going to take anything away from the staggering promise of Jesus. I'm not going to place any conditions on it that he doesn't because I don't think we're bold enough in our prayers. But let's talk about that question. What if we do muster up the gumption to ask God to come boldly and God doesn't answer our request? How do, how do we make sense of that? And here's where the last parable, I think, is really helpful and helps us create a, a full, rounded sense of understanding of prayer. Jesus, in this last parable, lays down a foundation for bold asking that helps us make sense of those questions we have about unanswered prayers or prayers that again get answered in the way we like. And Jesus tells another parable, and he tells a parable of a kid, a kid and a dad, a kid asking his dad, for good things, basic things, like breakfast. Dad, give me a fish, give me an egg. And Jesus says this shocking thing. Even though you are pretty twisted, you're pretty evil, you, you'll give your children good things. How much more will your Father in heaven give you good things? You talk to any parent. They love to give their kids good things. I love giving my kids good things. Things, first of all, that I know they need, but then things that'll delight them. You know, that'll, that'll just make their eyes sparkle, that, that'll help them flourish. Every good parent wants to do that. Jesus is saying, you can be assured when we ask God, he will give us even better gifts than the, uh, the best parent will give their kids. And again, you know what that leads? That leads to such boldness with God. If, if you're a child approaching your father, you, you just run in. That kid runs in, right? And, and grabs him by the sleeves and says, Dad, I want this, I want that. Some of you experienced that with my kids here at church. You know, we might be, let's say, in a conversation. And uh, one of my kids might just sort of, you know, bump into the conversation and say, Dad, you know, where are we going? Can we go for lunch or whatever? And if... If you did that in a conversation with someone else, sort of bumped in like that, everyone would think, seriously, you know, come on, learn a little appropriateness. But not for a kid. We think for a little kid it's okay because we understand that if you're the love child of a father, that's okay. You have that sort of access. This is who you are. You are that dearly loved child of the father and so you can boldly go to the Father. And yet, we still so misunderstand God, don't we? Why else wouldn't we come to him impertinently and ask? And here's where it helps make sense of why God doesn't answer prayers the way we want him to. Um, 
He is our loving Father. This is what Jesus is saying. He knows us, right? He knows what we need. He knows what we need to flourish. And so when we ask for something and we don't get what we asked for, we can actually trust that God is willing something even better for us. Something different than what we may have asked for, but something better. The image of, of this parable, it's no longer a friend and a neighbor, but now it's a father and a child. And it, it, along with boldness, it encourages sort of a yieldedness, a trusting submission. And, and here, there, it's, it's like a safety valve on your prayers. Because here's the thing, we can ask for something, and maybe we can ask for things foolishly, impetuously, like kids sometimes do. We can ask for something that wouldn't be the best for us. We can trust God is after our best and so may not give us what we always want. He's going to respond to the core desire of our hearts, absolutely, but he will find a form, a mode, a way that isn't going to wreck us, that isn't harmful, that will actually bless us. I love what one pastor says about this. He says, you can come before God with utter confidence that he is going to give you what you would have asked if you knew everything he knows. God will give you everything you ask if you knew what he knows. Jesus is teaching us we can trust in the goodness of the Father. We can have confidence in God that he is wiser than we and that he wants the best for us. My kids ask me for all sorts of things. And I say no a whole lot all the time. Dad, can I have an iPhone in a couple of years? Yeah, but not now. Dad, how about we have chocolate chips for breakfast? No. Can I drive the car, Dad? No. Can I stay up late, drink highly carbonated beverages, ingest copious amounts of junk food, leaving me so jacked up I'm wrecked for the week? No, you may not. Can I jump off the roof into the pool? I might say yeah to that. <laughs> but I say no a lot. But I'm not ignoring their needs. I'm after their best. If God is not saying yes to something that you have requested, you just might have been asking for a scorpion or a snake without knowing it. And I tell you, he's responding to your need. He's loving you. That's what he's doing right now. You can be sure of that. This parable also helps us understand what prayer is. Prayer is not like Aladdin's lamp. You know, it's not that sort of magical, sort of genie-like thing. The metaphor Jesus gives us for prayer is that it works in a family way, on family terms. You go to our father. You don't go to a genie. God is our loving father. He knows us. He knows what we need. He knows what we need to flourish. And so when we ask for something, we don't always get what we ask for. But we can trust. We will get what is for our best. And so the invitation of Jesus is clear. Like I said, it's almost like a dare because he knows our reluctance. Go to your father who loves you, who wants your full flourishing, who more than you could ever know, go to him, ask, seek, knock boldly. Offer those bold prayers to God because they honor him and God will honor those bold prayers. There are higher heights and deeper depths in prayer that God invites us to go into. He wants to take us places we have not been. 
There are new dimensions of prayer. We need to discover them. But if you want God to do something new in your life, you can't do the same old thing. You can't pray the same old prayers. You can't think of God in the same way. So I want to invite you to boldly pray. Can I invite you for the next 21 days, for the next three weeks, to do this with me? We're going to pray bold, shameless prayers. We are going to come to the Father. We are going to pester him with his promises. And what Jesus promises here is the Holy Spirit. He says, this is the best thing you can ask for. This is your heart's need even before you know what you need. Can we, for the next three weeks, ask God boldly every day for the gift of the Holy Spirit? Start with yourself. God, pray that you would so fill me with the Holy Spirit So fill me with a deep sense of of your assurance that I am adopted as your child. So fill me with a renewed character, with a courage that I'm able to face whatever situation I need to. Pray for your friends, your family, your colleagues and co-workers, your neighbors. Pray that God's Holy Spirit would so fill them that he would reveal Jesus Christ in beautiful, profound ways. Pray for Knox Church. The Holy Spirit would so fill this church, this community of faith. That the Holy Spirit would knit us as, as a beautiful community that would, would shine out with the goodness and glory of Jesus Christ. Shamelessly come before God for the city of Toronto, for the world, for the deep needs of the world. Pray for God's Spirit to hover over what sometimes feel like chaos and, and so that people across the city would be healed and restored so addictions would be gone, so that people would know Jesus Christ in saving ways. So there be end to racism, sexism, consumerism. Can we pray boldly? You have not because you ask not, says the Bible. So ask, seek, knock. I dare you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it just almost feels too good to be true what you say here. It shows us how we don't know your heart well enough when we ask those questions and how we don't understand prayer. So Holy Spirit, would you, maybe the first thing you need to do is teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray well. Reveal the beautiful heart, the goodness of the Father so that we might boldly pray, come like a child, tugging on a daddy's sleeve, saying, Dad, interrupting him, and knowing that we'll be embraced and accepted and heard. Thank you for the wonder of this. And as we prepare now to this table that you have set for us, Father, we pray that we might boldly come just as we are. In your name we pray, amen.